Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of the Clippings Podcast, where we review nail papers and share them with you. I'm April Schechtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Catherine Stiff. Hello, April. All right. My article today is titled Longitudinal Erythronychia Secondary to a Wooden Splinter. The authors are Travis Dowdle, Blaine Fenner, Dylan Maldonado, Jeremy Purser, and Michelle Tarbox from Texas Tech University. And the article was published in Curious in January 2023. This is a case report of a mimic of an onychopapilloma that we should all be aware of. And I want to point out that the study's senior author, Michelle Tarbox, is the co-host of another dermatology podcast, Dermosphere, which I highly recommend and really enjoy listening to. Yes, I love that podcast. Uh, So the paper describes a 71-year-old Hispanic man who presented to their VA clinic with a band of longitudinal erythronychia that was two millimeters in width, and it was on the left index finger. The band originated in the lunula and extended to the hyponychium, and the clinical history was that the band had been present for about a year. The patient denied a history of prior trauma, and there was no focal pain or cold sensitivity. Uh, There are a few images provided, one clinical and one dermatoscopic image of the nail plate that show this striking brownish-pink streak with a tapered end that really does mimic an onychopapilloma. And there's also a dermatoscopic image of the hyponychium that shows a focal subungual keratosis. The authors described that there was a negative Loves test or pinpoint tenderness to palpation and negative Hildreth test, which is the test where pain would vanish when the arm is exsanguinated with a blood pressure cuff and then pain would return when a cuff is released. Those two tests would suggest a glomus tumor and those were both negative. Their differential was squamous cell carcinoma in situ versus onychopapilloma versus glomus tumor. And I would also add consideration of a longitudinal acanthoma to that differential. A four millimeter punch biopsy was performed at the distal nail matrix and the histopathology showed fragments of plant material within the dermis consistent with a a wooden splinter. And there are very nice pathology images included. So the adjacent nail matrix on pathology was unremarkable and there was no dysplasia. The ultimate diagnosis was longitudinal erythronychia secondary to a splinter, and this is the first reported case in the literature. Foreign material is a good thing that we should all be adding to the differential of a longitudinal pink-brown streak, in addition to onychopapilloma, squamous cell carcinoma, melanoma, glomus tumor, longitudinal acanthoma, or potentially a single nail presentation of an inflammatory condition like lichen planus. In this case, the splinter caused a subungual keratosis very similar to an onychopapilloma. The unusual, more brownish color might be one clue to the diagnosis of splinter, but patients may not always recall the inciting traumatic event. Yeah, this is a really cool case. I loved looking at those pictures. Thank you. All right, Catherine, tell us what you read about. Okay, so today I'll review the article, Intralesional Steroid Injections for Inflammatory Nail Dystrophies in the Pediatric Population. This is by some big names in the nail world, including, but not limited to, Dr. Yuritso, Dr. Lipner, and Dr. Tosti, among others. 
It is hot off the press, e-published ahead of print in pediatric dermatology on March 20th, 2023. So as we know, interlesional injections of the nail matrix are effective for treating inflammatory nail conditions. We can all imagine injecting into the fingernail matrix may seem like a tough sell to our younger patients, and we may not offer this procedure due to its seemingly invasive and anxiety-producing nature. To attempt to reduce some of this hesitancy, these authors report their experience with injections of nail lichen planus and psoriasis in pediatric patients. In total, 12 boys and 18 girls ages 9 to 17 years old with nail lichen planus or psoriasis were treated with intramatrical injections of triamcinolone at a strength of 2.5 to 5 milligrams per milliliter with a 30-gauge needle on a Lorelock syringe or with an insulin syringe. No other concomitant treatment was used. The needle was inserted five millimeters proximal to the cuticle until a loss of resistance was felt. The maximum injected per nail quadrant was 0.1 milliliters. None of the patients received a digital block. A vibrating device, ethyl chloride, or topical anesthetic was used for some patients. And to minimize injection pain, the drug was brought to room temperature and administered very slowly. Injections were performed every four to eight weeks, and once complete improvement was seen, injections were tapered by extending to every six to eight weeks. In total, 141 nails were treated. Mild pain at injection site was seen in 14 of 30 patients. Pain led to discontinuation of treatment in six out of 30 patients after anywhere between one to four sessions. Subungual hematoma and Buse lines were seen in one case, hypopigmentation of the proximal nail fold in two cases, and skin atrophy of the proximal nail fold in another two cases. And in these um, instances, the, the higher strength of triamcinolone, five milligrams per milliliter, was used. So takeaway is we should not shy away from using intramatrical triamcinolone injections in pediatric patients with nail lichen planus or psoriasis. They are an effective treatment when used with appropriately selected cooperative patients. Thanks for sharing that, Catherine. I appreciate the encouragement of the authors to do more nail matrix injections in our pediatric patients, and I would find this study sort of reassuring and encouraging for myself to do it. And I haven't done it yet, but I will. Um, and I think the fact that they were, they repeated the treatments is also really encouraging. You know, if a patient yes. um, pediatric or otherwise really did not want to have the procedure done again, because it was so terrible to tolerate, then they wouldn't have been able to repeat it. And they did in the study. Catherine, thank you for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. To all of our listeners, please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Let us know how we are doing and which articles you would like us to review on the show by contacting kristen.cnd at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter at Nail Disorders. <laughs>